0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom, both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Okay. I realized when I was just up here, I, I was like really slow. So uh, I don't want you to think I'm falling asleep. So, I'm going to try to be a little bit more peppy this time. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Mark 2. At least I didn't forget the, the quatches, right? <laughs> Bruce was supposed to remind me that I remembered to pray for the quatches because I have short term memory loss. And uh, I did it. So, we're good. This should go well. All right, Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Bale wanted uh, me to pick up and so we could continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so they're all great passages. This is a, a great passage, too, so I'm really glad to be able to have this one. Um, so we're going to pray and, and read together, and, and we'll, we'll get going. Let's pray. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. In his name, all oppression shall cease. Christ is the Lord. Praise his name forever. Christ, we love you. We praise your holy name. You are the Lord of heaven and earth. And by your word, the heavens and the earth was made. By your word are all things upheld. From you do we receive all things. Christ is the Lord. Praise his name forever. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would bless us now as we read and meditate upon your word. Instruct and teach us. Cause our hearts to grow in love for you. Cause our fear of you, O most holy God, to increase and to bring forth praise and worship from our mouths and our lives. Please be with me now, Lord God. Despite my own sinfulness and and many inadequacies, I pray that you would speak through me to your people, that Christ would be glorified and your people encouraged and edified. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will follow along as I read chapter two, verses one through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them uh, and as he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Thus reads the word of God through verse 12. So Mark is a shorter gospel. It uh, it. It kind of goes at breakneck speed. If you, if you read Mark, I think uh, you start to realize pretty early on uh, that, that Mark seems to be in a hurry, or at least Jesus seems to be in a hurry as, as he is telling this story. The word immediately is used all throughout the gospel, and we're just taken from one scene to the next. Jesus had initially, or at least prior to this, been in Capernaum, which uh, is is referenced as his hometown, uh, the home, presumably the the home of Peter. And the first time he was at Capernaum, he was there and and, uh, as he spoke, Mark wants us to realize that that people are, are seeing something that's very unique about Jesus. And they say, after hearing him speak in the synagogue, no one has ever spoken like this before. No one has ever spoken with such authority before. Now, that is pretty remarkable because they probably heard a ton of people speak. And as you know, you've heard many people speak. People have all kinds of different styles and inflections and, and you know volumes. And I'm sure... You know, some rabbis probably really uh, hit it home and sound very authoritative when they speak, but when Jesus spoke, I don't know how his tone was, but when he spoke, they realized this is the word. This one is speaking and telling us this word in a different way. Instead of saying, it is written, he says, I say unto you. Instead of telling the story about Yahweh, which he did, but he's telling the story about himself. As you remember on the road um, after he was risen, talking to the two disciples, uh, he's unfolding to them the Old Testament and showing them how the Old Testament points to him. So here is the subject of the story, giving the story to the people that they might come to know him and have life in him, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior who would come and save his people from their sins, God in the flesh. He could only speak with such authority because he indeed was the incarnate word. And early on in his ministry, as he taught in the synagogues, Those listening, and the scribes as well, realize this man does not speak or preach like I do. He has something that I do not have. He has something that no one else we have ever heard possesses. And so the issue of of Christ's authority, they say no one spoke with such authority like this man. He leaves uh, Capernaum, it became too difficult for him to enter into the cities because of the, the crowds that would surround him and the, uh, the, the fanfare that he had. So he left a while, and then we come to, to chapter 2, and he comes and returns to Capernaum after some days. And in this passage, it also wants us to see that Jesus has authority. In the first chapter, he preaches and speaks with an authority in his presentation and proclamation of the word of truth as the truth giver himself. And now we are given another glimpse of Christ's authority that we will see here in chapter 2. That is his authority to forgive sins. We all have many problems, right? Each individual... Has a really big problem. (laughs) We all are sinners and are in need of, of God's grace and forgiveness. We are hopelessly sinful. We are hopelessly a wreck. The world is filled with problems war, famine, disease. There are many here that suffer and have significant physical sufferings and trials, some chronic, some lifelong. Many suffer from depression, not just here, but our, our nation, as we see many things going on as we're all so connected with social media. There's so much suffering. There's so much sin. There's so much sorrow. Our nation grapples with identity in many different ways. It all grows out of the facts that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is wracked by sin. It is because of sin that these things, these trials, these sufferings exist. It's because of sin that you and I go through difficulties, whether it be economical, emotional, spiritual, physical, those, those things in themselves are not the cause of those things. The cause of those things is sin. Not necessarily, perhaps, sin that you and I have committed, though maybe sometimes it is that. We will never know. But it's not necessarily so. The Bible says that, you know, thorns, thistles are on the path that we all walk, and it's not necessarily due to someone's sin in every instance, but just the fact that we live in a fallen world. You see, many people came to Jesus because he was a great speaker, I'm sure. (laughs) The best. He spoke with authority. We all love to hear people that have silver tongues, that seem to be really confident in what they're saying. (laughs) We love to see signs. We love to see wonders. We love to be entertained. I don't know how many people that came before Jesus in his earthly ministry and here in Capernaum came because they knew they had a problem with God. We see that many were brought then because they were sick and, and they needed healing and they knew that he was able to heal them, that he had power. We have no idea where it's from, but he seemingly is able to heal people. The scribes came because they didn't really like Jesus and they saw that they were being usurped and People were going after Jesus instead of them. You remember, John was happy. John said, they must go after him. I must decrease and he must increase. But that was not so with the scribes. They were seeing their pocketbook perhaps dwindle. Their notoriety being diminished. Their their stature in society becoming smaller. You see... People probably came to Jesus for all different reasons. But as Dr. Stephen Lawson often says, he's a Baptist preacher, he says the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And Jesus goes beyond all of the physical and other issues of the day, and he addresses man's most pressing and dire issue here. And that is the issue of sin. Jesus has authority to forgive sin. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So here we see Jesus is in a home, probably not a very large home, probably a small home, but it was packed People were at the door, wishing they could get in, but standing as, as, as much as they could with an earshot of this young man who was, who was known throughout the land. As I said, many people were probably there just simply to have something healed. Physical suffering is a real thing. It's awful. It's in varying degrees. These things are important, and not to minimize those things. Some people, perhaps their whole life, will will experience awful trauma. Some healthy people will get cancer or some other illness or some some other tragedy. These things are awful things. But there is something more sinister, something more dire, something that is much more important that needs to be addressed. It is a problem of our sin and therefore our guilt before God. Regardless of the reason why these people are there, what is Jesus doing? He's preaching the word to these people. See, wherever Jesus went, he preached the word of God. As we're told earlier in the gospel, Jesus left because he couldn't enter into cities anymore without being completely deluged with a crowd of people. And it made it, una- it made it too hard, too difficult to preach and to carry out the main reason why he came. And he tells us the main reason. He says, I came out of the city and we must move on to another place because I came to preach the word. Your most dire need is the word of God. Christ carried forth to you in the gospel of God. That is your most dire need. You need to hear the truth. You need to come face to face with the Lord of all creation. The word of God is the most powerful weapon this world has ever seen. It is the most powerful and devastating weapon the heavens ever witnessed. The word of God is that which will judge all men and women. The word of God is that which pierces bone and marrow and spirit. The word of God is that weapon that Christ shall use in the last day to utterly destroy all of the forces of evil in one breath. Jesus will say, it is finished. And everybody who got all jazzed up on the last day to fight Christ and his people Will be slain with one word, the sword that comes forth from the mouth of Christ. Jesus is giving these people the most important thing that they could receive. He is preaching the word of God, the gospel, the means of salvation unto them. Whether they realized it or not, the King of Glory, the greatest preachers, the greatest of preachers that the world has ever known is in their midst and whether they came there for just to be entertained or to be occupied for a while to be healed Jesus knows their most pressing need and he gives to them the word that was Jesus' most pressing goal most pressing mission as he went around and ministered unto the people he preached the word the greatest thing that you and I can do for one another, the greatest thing that you and I can do for the lost is to preach the word to them. To preach the word in love. To preach the word with wisdom and discernment. But to share the gospel of Christ. We have a message that surpasses the greatness of all other messages. We have the elixir that is greater than any other distraction that can distract one from their sufferings for a a small amount of time. We have the words of life, the name of Christ and his gospel to give to a suffering, depressed, and emotional world. Christ is the son of man. Christ is dead for you, that you might have life. Jesus preaches to this crowd, and we see that a group of men or a group of friends come, and they see that there's absolutely no physical possible way for them to get through this crowd. And so they take this man who's paralytic, that he can't get from point A to point B without being carried, And they have every intention to not be kept back from Jesus. Absolutely nothing will keep them from getting this man before the Son of Man. So the roof, so far as commentaries tell us and and history would tell us, most likely this roof is is pretty sturdy. Uh, You could sleep up there. It was kind of like your deck, your patio. So when they remove the roof they really did remove the roof. I have no idea what they did. Probably didn't come with tools because they didn't have probably any sense that they would need to do that. So for one way or another, probably in a very crude manner, they got through that clay overlaid with trunks, wood, whatever else, and probably a great commotion. After bulldozing through the roof, they lowered this man down to Jesus. And what did Jesus say to to this man? You're, You're healed. Get up and go walk. Now Jesus has done that many times and that's fine. But Mark wants us to see that Jesus wants us to see another aspect, another truth about himself. Not only does he preach and speak as one with authority, that is utterly unique from any that have come before him. There's also something else unique about this, this man. Not only is he able to say, I say unto you, not only is he able to declare and to proclaim with all authority in heaven and on earth, he is able to say, man, son, woman, child, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine what that must have been like. I mean, the man probably had, like, it probably just hit him like Jesus said it. He, I mean, he probably didn't even, like, probably didn't even register. Like, he, I doubt he went there to get his sins forgiven. He went there because he couldn't move, and his friends needed to carry him around. He's going there because he's, or his friends, his friends are taking him there because he's hoping that Jesus will, will heal him, as he did countless of others before this time. But Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus is using this opportunity to show us and those around him that he has authority that only God possesses. He is able to forgive sin. I'm sure this man, when he heard Jesus say that, probably was stunned at some... Probably, he was probably... Breathless, probably speechless. He probably didn't know what in the world to say. Uh, thank you. Um, as you see, I have been lit, lowered down through the roof. Uh, and <laughs> as Jesus is picking clots or, you know, things of clay and, and straw out of his hair and beard that came down upon him as they were demoing the, the roof. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine that? To have the one who is the sacrifice for sins, past, present, and future. The one who loves you intensely. A love that we will never fathom until all eternity. I I doubt we'll ever really scratch the surface. Eternity to ponder God's love for us, and I'm sure we'll never scratch the surface to hear from the mouth, the lips of the one who gave himself for us and bore our sin upon himself. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You know, you and I, when we believe in the Lord Jesus, we hear those words. Jesus says that to us. It doesn't matter how awful you are. And trust me, you're awful. (laughs) I don't say that to be funny. You're really bad. I'm really bad. I think of my sin in my life and how I've used people, manipulated people, done this or that or lied or cheated. We are sinful people. And you know what? I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but I bet I'm going to sin against the Lord a little bit more. And you know what? Jesus has forgiven and died for all those sins. Jesus tells you who believe in him, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You know, it really doesn't matter if you can't move a muscle after that. It'd be nice, but that that doesn't mean nothing in comparison. Jesus cut to the heart of the matter. This man was paralyzed, but he had a greater problem. He was an enemy of God. And he had a sin problem. And he had absolutely no way of dealing with that. And apart from grace outside himself, he would die in a state of alienation and enmity with God. And Jesus took this man's sins later on the cross and died for them. And every single sin was washed away. I better hurry up not everybody was really happy with that I'm sure the man probably had no idea what to say and not even, I don't even know if he believed it at first the scribes look at him and say "Oh, man I mean who does this person think he is only God can forgive sins who, who, what is this he's been healing people okay that's fine everybody likes that you know but not forgive sins. They question in their hearts. They didn't even say a word. Jesus knows what they're thinking. You know, if Jesus, you know, if somebody's in a room and you're thinking, like, say, just bad thoughts about this person or the speaker. You know, it's like Charlie. If you are Charlie up here, and like I'm sitting back there and I'm like, man, he's, what in the world is Charlie saying this morning? It's, Scott, melting? Yeah, I'd, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like what in the world? Like how did he know I was thinking that? I'm sure the scribes were like. I mean, he's calling us out. Like, How did he know? Here they are doubting his divinity, and now he tells them what they are thinking and condemns them for. You see, he, he's, he then asks them a question. Is it easier to forgive sins or to, to, to say to this person, get up and, and walk away? Now, obviously, the, right, the Sunday school answer is, uh, it's way harder to forgive sins than to, to have some to tell a person to get up and walk right but the issue here when Jesus says so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins it's he's doing something that it, that can't be questioned by anybody so that they realize well I mean maybe, maybe he really did forgive. You know, in the Old Testament, time and time again, and even when we read in Isaiah, suffering and, and, and healing and, and, and sin are, are, are linked. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, you know, God's people that, you know, please forgive us of our sins that we might be healed. So sometimes healing is kind of a sign that there has been forgiveness. And, and that's throughout the Old Testament. I'll have to take my word for it today because I don't have them written down, but you can go back home and look. But It's everywhere. Jesus knows this, obviously, because he is the word. And so he heals this man, surely because he loves the man. But you know what? Because he wants to show everyone there, I am the son of man. I am the son of God. I am God in the flesh. Jesus forgives this man of his sins, which is shocking to all, leading even some commentators to doubt whether this should be in the Mark Gospel. Why would he forgive sins? And then he, he tells the person to get up and walk away. It was to show that he is God. He is God in the flesh. He's not like a scribe or Pharisee. He's not speaking on behalf of somebody. He's speaking on behalf of himself. The man picks up his bed and walks out. And they were all amazed. I think it was in, was it in Luke. Uh, this is in the other Gospels, Luke and, uh, and Matthew. And I think it's Luke. It says they feared God. Well, of course they did. This man was paralyzed. And Jesus just said he forgave his sins and then told him to get up and walk out. It must have been astonishing and shocking. Jesus says, I say to you, again, I say to you, not on behalf of. In the Old Testament, sometimes the prophets, you know, would say somebody, you know, go to to so-and-so and and they'll heal you. Well, they're doing it, you know, they're kind of standing in the stead of God there. It's God's, God's man, God's representative. Jesus is saying, I say to you, I heal you. And they fear God and glorify Him. We see here that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. You know, on, uh, because of COVID, everything, you know, is, is much of work for many of us is pushed on online. And I hate Zoom and teams. I do like that. I don't have to really travel much, so I've, I've accumulated many sweatpants. Um, and ward PJs more than I ever have. But when I sit on a Zoom call, and not, not to throw anybody under the bus here, so if you do this, you're okay. I'm not judging you. I always had like, I'm in the basement, and I'm now, for the first time in years, have had an office, but, like, I just have, like, a glass door behind me, and there's not much wall space, but, like, I've never wanted to, like, put, like, a lot of stuff there, because, like, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's just, a, like, a thing with me. I just get... I don't want to be prideful, and I know it doesn't mean you're prideful or anything, but it just sticks in my mind. But you know how a lot of people, you get on Zoom, and you'll see, like, all these things behind them. I have a buddy. He, he, uh, he advises, like, Congress and stuff, and uh, um, he, he's like, yeah, so, Scott, I, uh, I put all my degrees behind me. I wrote a book, so that's behind me. And so whenever I have a Zoom meeting or, or like, you know, I'm called up on the Hill and we have, like, they Zoom me in, all the congressmen and women can see, you know, how important I am. I was like, oh, that's nice. So I don't have anything on the back of mine. So many people do that, right? They they want to establish their uniqueness, their authority, right? If Jesus had a Zoom call, you know what would be behind him on the wall? Just, Just a few words. I am. I am. I am the eternal God who speaks with absolute authority, who has power to forgive sins, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, To call into being that which is not. Before me the mountains and the earth and the sky flees away. I am. The people here have some sort of glimpse that they are in the presence of the Almighty. He who forgives sins. I went over. I have to stop. My friends, and I, I know that there are those in our congregation that are suffering. Let us continue to pray for one another. But let us rejoice that we have a Savior who has said to each one of us who believes in his name, son and daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let us remember as we interact with the world around us that is becoming more increasingly hostile in our own country to to Christianity. So lost, so much sorrow, so much suffering, so much depression, we have the greatest message that the Son of Man can forgive sins. That their deepest problem, their root to all other problems in their life can be taken care of in the person of Jesus Christ. Not that life will necessarily get easier, but you will have a joy and a fullness, a hope that you will find nowhere else that is everlasting and unshakable. Because he can never die, you and I can never die. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for sending the Son of Man into the world. He who knew no sin to bear all of our sin and burdens and sorrows on the cross. Praise him who forgives us all our sins. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen.